Well, this morning, our Old Testament lesson is from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. You would open your Bibles, your, uh, you can find on your pew Bibles, page 295, and then a large print, on page 575, 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we do ask that you would help us to be people who can bless your name in every situation. That we would um, that we would praise you, that we would trust you, whether we're on the top of a mountain or whether we're deep in the valley. God, we pray that you would Hold us close to you. And I pray that you would continue to change us by your word and by your spirit into the people that you've created us to be in a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Second Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard, on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they had entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked. And there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Oh, I wish we had time this morning to preach on that passage. And I will leave that to you as uh, (laughs) it's your own homework there. 
John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. As Jesus prays for his disciples the night of his arrest. Jesus prays. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was in seminary years ago, there was a kind of question that kept floating around from time to time where people would debate the... uh, the issue, these are people preparing for ministry, preparing to be preachers, etc. And so the question that went around was, um, is it possible to preach a Christian sermon without ever mentioning Jesus? Hmm. Is it possible to preach a Christian sermon without ever mentioning Jesus? And there were various ideas and ways that people would go on that. My favorite answer, though, and I'll leave you to discuss amongst yourselves later, but... My favorite answer was given by a man at one point uh, when he just answered the question by saying, why would you ever want to? It's pretty good. (laughs) Whether or not you could preach a a Christian sermon without mentioning Jesus, why would you ever want to? And if you really know Jesus, if you really understand who he is and what he's about, why would you want to? On the other hand, We are living in an increasingly post-Christian culture. I've talked about this before. And Jesus is very counter-cultural. And so there might be good reason why someone would want to preach a sermon without ever mentioning Jesus. Because people often stop listening as soon as you mention Jesus. Because think about it. The message of our culture increasingly today is follow your heart. You've got to just find out who you are and follow that. And that is the answer to peace and happiness and everything that your heart desires. Just follow your heart. Jesus says, 
if anyone wants to come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. That's a very different message. Follow your heart versus die to self and follow Jesus. Very different message. And so, it may be that if you want to, um, if you want to reach more and more people, you may have to mention Jesus less and less. But there's a problem with that. The less you mention Jesus, probably the less, um, the less on track your message is. Particularly if Jesus is the way that God has most uh, clearly and specifically revealed who he is to the world. And when you go away from Jesus, what else are you leaving behind? But as we've noticed, with every problem we face, there's nothing new under the sun. These problems go way back. And in fact, in, John, uh, in John's day, there was something similar going on. And so in 1 John chapter 4, the first six verses, here's how he recommends that we, uh, <laughs> that we respond in such a situation. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Very quickly. John gives, uh, gives us this word. He says, don't believe every spirit. The reason why, of course, is because there are many, many voices. But that doesn't mean there are many, many truths. There are many voices. It is we need to be listening for the true voice. And so we need to, first of all, test the spirits. We need to test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. Just grab this. The first uh, way that we test, though, is this acknowledging Jesus. Whether Jesus has come in the flesh. And in one amazing sentence... It says, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In that one sentence, he takes on so many different ways that you can miss it. There are some who teach that Jesus was just a man, but he certainly wasn't the Christ, the Messiah. There are others that teach that God had uh, sent his Christ, but it, he doesn't, huh, tongue-tied wasn't actually a human person. He was just God who kind of seemed like he was a person, but not really. He's too good to be in the flesh. And what he says is this is how you can recognize uh, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ appeared has come in the flesh. Oh, that was the other one. He says he's actually come in the flesh. In other words, uh, there are some who will teach that Jesus was just a guy 
just like everybody else. And then at some point, uh, usually they will say at Jesus' baptism, then God sent the Holy Spirit, and that's when he became the Messiah. I think John would disagree. <laughs> Even as we read in uh, uh, Christmas, at Christmas time, that and even as we read in the beginning of 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. This is not something that happened to some guy one day, but it is something that happened in our world, in our history, that Jesus the Christ has come in the flesh. And if that has happened, that should change everything. should absolutely change everything. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus did not come, if he was not crucified, if he did not raise from the dead, then people who follow him are the most to be pitied of everyone. But if he really did come, if he really did die for us, if he really was raised to life again, then the resurrection power we have is more powerful than any other force in the world. And so we have an identity check. As we see all these other voices, as we hear all these other voices around us, he says, remember who you are. He says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I don't remember the whole story, but there was a story from years ago of um, a Christian pastor who was facing persecution in some uh, other country. And the way that he responded to the people who were uh, wanting to shut him up, maybe even kill him, I do remember this part. He said... Uh, You can't stop us because your supreme weapon is killing, but our supreme weapon is dying. Think about that. If if the thing that we can do to overpower the world is the exact same thing that they can do to try to win, we cannot lose. (laughs) But this means we really must believe that we have a resurrection power, that we believe in a God who can actually raise the dead. But we've seen it done. Jesus is the life, the resurrection life. And so if we are from God, if we, then we have overcome the whole rest of the world because the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Then he also tells us, You know the saying, birds of a feather flock together, right? It says that uh, those false prophets are from the world. And therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. Of course the world listens to them. They'll eat it up. That's what what they want to hear. And that's what is being said. But, he says, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. That word for falsehood, by the way, actually literally means uh, to lead astray. Because it's not just that we're being led away from truth, as in falsehood, 
But if Jesus is the way, if he is the truth, if he is the life, when we are being led astray by other voices, it's not just taking us into, oh, I made a mistake, now I've, you know, into falsehood that way. It's taking us away from the only source of life there is. It's taking us away from truth, and it's taking us away from the way in which God has called us to live and to be in relationship with him. That's pretty serious. There's another story that's probably not true, but I don't care. You'll still remember it anyway. (laughs) About a uh, man years and years ago when the telegraph was still the fastest way of communicating over long distances and uh, an office needed a new Morse code operator. And so they had put an ad in the newspaper and all these people came to apply. One job applicant walks in and of course there are already seven other people in front of him. They're all sitting in the waiting room. The secretary had said, just have a seat. You'll be called in when it's time. And so they sit down in the waiting room. He sits down and joins them. There's all kinds of noise coming from the office on the other side of the door. Um, But there they sit. Until a few minutes later, that last man gets up walks in the door, and everybody else is looking around. Oh, he's in for it now. (laughs) He did not follow the instructions. But then the boss comes out and says to everybody else who's still sitting there, thank you very much for coming today, but I want you to know the position has been filled. They were upset. What do you mean it's been filled? He got here last. We were already here. We were waiting. We did what we were told. And now this? And said, ah, yes, but here's what you missed. The whole time you were sitting here, the telegraph in the other room has been typing out in Morse code and tapping out in Morse code. Uh, if you understand this message, walk in. The position is yours. <laughs> Just going to let that one sit for a bit. Jesus said, when he was describing himself as the good shepherd, that his sheep know him. They know his voice. They follow him. There are a lot of voices. We do not have to believe every voice that's out there. We need to listen. We don't need to start looking around and judging everyone critically, but we do need to listen critically, carefully, with wisdom and discernment, tuning our ears to listen for our shepherd's voice. Listening for the voice of our master. Tuning our ears in that we would hear him. But not just listening for him. But when we hear him. Sometimes even through unlikely sources. When we hear his voice. That we would listen to him. That we would have fellowship with him. And that we would have life. And a life that overcomes everything else. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.